The following opinions and ideas are that of the host and or contributors of the Eat This with Leanne podcast and are for purposes of general information and entertainment only and do not necessarily reflect the thoughts or ideas of the distributor. Broadcasting to the world from Insider Closet and high above the streets of Toronto, this is Eat This with Leanne. Here's your host, registered nutritionist, Leanne Philipson. If you haven't read or heard that sugar and processed foods aren't good for you, I'm not sure where you've been hiding lately. While there's an incessant, all the incessant ads that you see on your phone, on billboards, on your streaming TV, or just your regular stuff, or breakfast cereals, well, you know, now know that they're as healthy as having a chocolate bar for breakfast, to your drive through temptations, to the smooth and creamy ice cream, or the lovely family breakfast and orange juice. Did you know that there's also really hard-hitting campaigns when you get into the marketing side of things for things like pizza and their competitors? Well, all of this is going on around us. It's really hard to stay in the lane of avoiding these foods and maintain your healthy focus. Now, I too get a craving triggered when I see something and with my understanding of what having, giving into it could mean, and over the past three months, having an accountability tracker stuck in my arm, aka a glucose monitor, it's actually been easier to stay on the healthy course. So why drive past the opportunity for a double-double sweetened coffee with cream that packs over six teaspoons of sugar? Or I didn't even know this was a real thing, Chris, a triple-triple coffee Mm -hmm. that has 14 teaspoons or a third of a cup of sugar? Wow. Like, what kind of jet fuel is being sold while you're sitting in your car or your truck or whatever and then then one day maybe you think oh yeah sure i'll have a donut along with that or no i'll be healthier and have a muffin or what about a breakfast bagel and you think you're actually doing a good thing (laughs) that person started with a double double right that's the normal thing and then the body and the brain started going we want more we want more right and that turned into triple triple and lord knows if there's such thing as a quad quad i don't know but if there is one i don't want to see it i don't want to see anybody consume it. (laughs) It's all scary monsters Mm. because it all could be taking you down the path of blood sugar dysregulation. Your pancreas is working so hard that it just about gives up on you, aka called insulin resistance. You end up maybe with a diagnosis of diabetes and you're like, whoa, I didn't know, where did that go? Or you kind of work up to and just because you're one point over, oh yeah, now you're diagnosed with diabetes. Then comes dementia, Alzheimer's, heart disease, inflammation, accelerated aging, mood and mental health issues, digestive disturbances, and all that before you realize that you could have changed course right here, right now, to prevent everything that I've just listed. Now, I'm not painting a pretty picture because this situation is serious. As I scan over what is on the checkout belt in front of people or in front of me at the, at the supermarket, what's in people's weekly shop, I'm really worried about the direction that we're going in as a global community when it comes to health. North America and even Australia stands out from the rest with the incidence of obesity being one in three people. Now, that's a U.S. stat. I know Australian has an insane stat as well. But almost 70% of the population being overweight. Another more U.S. stat, but Canada, we're not that far behind it. And I believe that it's in large part to do with the processing of food. Everything that we have, go and open your cupboard, look at your last food shop, whatever it is. And the foods that we're, the majority of what we're consuming is refined carbohydrates. They've become the mainstay diet. Oh, and that's before we talk about liquid calories. That means that all generations, especially that of my teenage kids and even younger, are in for a lifetime of health issues earlier than any of us could ever imagine. 
So today on Eat This with Leanne, we've brought back Dr. Davis Brockenshire to talk about the how and the why to avoid the sugars and the processed foods and go deeper than we have visited in the past. Wearing a glucose monitor has brought up a whole bunch of questions for me. If you've listened to previous episodes, you'll know that I've mentioned this before. If you've been here for a while, you know how I also love to go down in a deep dive and help, oh, just any kind of health topic. That's my happy place. The more I dig, the more questions I have. So who better than to help us with a deeper dive is the man that I go to with all of my questions. And we know we've heard him before talking about blood sugar, processed food, and glucose monitoring with the insights that he has. Functional medicine expert, Dr. Davis Brockenshire. Oh my gosh, I've heard from so many of you how you thoroughly enjoy the episodes that he's on. Now, if this is something new, know that you can head back to episode 149 to learn about how you can use a glucose monitor without a diabetic uh, diagnosis, whether it's something that's covered uh, on your uh, on your medical plan, or you just walk into a drugstore and you can purchase one. Dr. B shared more about metabolic flexibility. That's part of this conversation in episode 147. And that actually will tee up the conversation nicely. If you're really not sure about this blood sugar balance stuff, go back and listen to episode 142, where I really went into all the basics. By that time, my hope is, is that you'll be motivated to change some of your existing habits. And of course, always one mouthful at a time. Welcome back, Dr. B. I know that we've already talked quite a bit about uh, metabolic flexibility, about blood sugar balance, but let's, for anybody that hasn't listened to those just yet, and in case anyone's been living under a rock, let's talk about what are the benefits of avoiding sugar, refined carbs, all those things that I know that everybody loves, and why put yourself through this, because there's a mental deprivation I know that can go on. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, thanks for having me back. It's always good to be here. Great to see you guys. So the question is, why is sugar bad? Mm. It's not really bad. It's just bad in abundance. I mean, we're hardwired at a genetic level to seek sugar. However, in the modern era, we have it available 24-7 in every source of intake, whether it's sugar in your coffee, sugar in your pop, your uh I mean, your salad dressing has sugar for crying out loud. Ketchup your has sugar. Your pasta sauce. Yeah, even, everything's even got Even the sugar. amount of, of like fructose that's in your orange juice in the morning where everybody says, well, don't I need it for my vitamin C? And well, you said the F word. What? That's fructose. Fructose, <laughs> fructose is bad. You don't want fructose. Just no. We're going to talk about sucrose and glucose, not maltose, galactose, allulose, or any other O-S-E. Uh, FYI, fructose is really bad. It's implicated in fatty liver and dementia. Right. So just if you see that on a label, don't buy it. Put it back. Put it away. Oh, and, and the same thing with all of your fruit juices, because I know yeah. everyone thinks, okay, this has got vitamin C. And it's been like hardwired into us now that you have to have your orange juice in the morning. It's your biggest decision is with or without pulp. Not, right. you know, right. not, are you going to have it? It's like, that has to be on the table. And as I said, off the top, the ads that are put in front of us of the whole family dynamic, you know, includes that juice on the table. Yeah. The media has conditioned us for consumption of several things. Milk yeah. is a good example. Exactly. Got to drink your milk. Why? Yeah. What happens if I don't mm-hmm. now? Yeah. Okay. Vitamin C in Orange juice, sure. And there's also what forty grams of sugar per per serving. Yeah, and there's and only negli- about 60, negligible <laughs> yeah, of vitamin sixty C. to ninety milligrams of ascorbic acid, and if one cigarette lucky. or one coffee is going to burn that up. So, <laughs> if you're trying to get your vitamin C, uh, have a cup of broccoli. You know, have some strawberries or something like that. Way yeah. better. Um, bigger story there, but the story is about sugar. Yes. Um, and a lot of this is coming from your experiments with the continuous glucose monitors and all these other tools that are now available. Yep. And I think the mistake people make in general is they think that if they make a change in their diet, whether it's sugar, protein, fat, whatever, that that change will be a linear effect, meaning it will be predictable, consistent. If I cut this out, then this will happen. 
Mm-hmm. And as you know, anybody that's tra- changed their diet knows that's not the case. Right. Um, and when you look at your graphs for blood sugar throughout a 24-hour cycle, it looks like an awesome roller coaster. Mine are insane. And I will put some of mine in the show notes on leannephillipson.com just so you can get a bit of a sense of that. And when I first started with the glucose monitor before I tweaked my diet and made sure that I was having more protein and fat at breakfast, then I saw the stabilization. But before that, I was like, I have no idea what, what this roller coaster is and noticed how I felt at different times as I was going up and down like a yo-yo. Well, I mean, the good news is as humans, we can eat anything pretty much and get fuel from it. But if you're consuming, you know, more than a hundred grams of sugar a day, you're changing your microbiome to be set up to want more sugar. Mm. And when those little buggies want more sugar, then those little buggies are pooping inflammation. That inflammation swells the lining of your gut. Then you get the dreaded leaky gut. And then that makes you sensitive to other foods. And then your brain gets inflamed. And then you want more sugar because the bugs told you so. And you'll just never feel good again unless you have it. Right. I saw an interview recently with a a young lady that was over 1,000 pounds. And she had to get down to 600 pounds before they did the gastric bypass surgery. And she said that mama always said if she drank two liters of Diet Coke after her two liters of Mountain Dew, that it would cancel each other out. (laughs) Wow. Now, I I mean, I'm speechless. That's kind of like simple math. But where did mama come up with that? (laughs) Obviously, we're talking about the United States and, you know, we won't talk about their education system. But right. That's that's insane. (laughs) That is insane. So let's go back to the that you know, talking about sucrose and glucose and refined carbs, because that is, you know, that's what I'm seeing people put on, on that belt in the supermarket. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm just, when I go to a normal supermarket and and I'm just observing to kind of see what, you know, what are people buying these days and, and having a, having a look at it. It's the pizzas, it's the boxes, it's the packages, it's the cereal, which we know is just not great. Like it's, confirmed studies say that now. So with all of this abundance around around us, and if your microbiome is also screaming at you for more, how, how can we start to get any kind of, of balance going on in terms of changing our diet or lifestyle? What do you recommend to your patients? Well, the first mistake people make is they fall into the don't cascade. Don't yes. do this. Don't eat that. Don't, 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 don't. Yeah. Um, it's can a duh, not can't. Right. right. You can do stuff. American. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea that I explain to patients is whatever you do, if you're going to have a high glycemic or high sugar load, never have that without fat. Mm-hmm. That's why, for example, a low fat cookie is worse than a regular cookie from a blood sugar perspective, because it will spike your blood sugar. Mm -hmm. And it's the spikes in the valleys that cause the problem with the brain and the gut. So we want to watch that. You want to make sure that while our honey producers, our our lovely beekeeping friends, and our maple syrup producers don't get offended here, I'm not talking about natural sugars like maple syrup or honey. I'm talking about the manufactured sugars from sugarcane, beet, and corn. So those are your synthetic sugars. That's glucose, sucrose. Anytime you see uh, glucose syrup on a label, you know it's going to spike your blood sugar. Pop being the most famous. But, uh, you know, it's not the end of the world to have a a teaspoon of maple syrup in your oatmeal. Right. The fiber will offset a lot of things. There are compounds in maple syrup that help your belly process sugar. Mm-hmm. But you always want to have a balanced feeding. So the problem we run into is when people snack on sugary things, like they might grab a box of Lucky Charms and only eat the marshmallows. And now you can only buy the marshmallows if you just want the marshmallows. Seriously. Yeah. America. And that will totally fry your brain on serotonin. So then you have the post-sugar hangover. The idea then with snacking is if you want to have those marshmallows, mix them with some nuts. Raisins, great snacky snack food, but it's a high sugar load. So make sure you mix it with 
something to counteract that blood sugar response. What I've noticed with um, with having a glucose monitor on my arm, and I'm in Canada, so it's the flash glucose monitor. And what I've noticed is if I eat the raisins first, then I my blood sugar will respond faster. If I eat the nuts first and then follow up with the raisins, then that definitely has a better um, a, like a, a better impact in that I'm not spike. I'm not like going straight up. It's, it's a different flow to my blood sugar rising. Like I would see in any kind of meal. And I've played around with a whole bunch of different stuff, like eat your vegetables on your plate first. Hmm. If I do that, there's a definitely a different response. And I've had this thing in my arm for two plus months now. So I've messed about with what happens if I eat an egg before my shortbread. Or if I just go and eat my shortbread, I actually was very surprised. And it makes a lot of sense by what you just said, because my shortbread is full of butter. Like you can even see it on the bag after I bought it from the market and it sits on the, in the paper bag and the paper bag is stained with fat. That's so good shortbread. It's very good <laughs> shortbread, sadly covered in sugar. But that was one that I was waiting. I waited on having because I didn't want to see the response, <laughs> so I stopped having it altogether. <laughs> well, don't you think that this deprivation idea is getting a little too extreme? It feels like we're in an extreme situation, and truthfully, when it comes to something like that, I will go for it when I feel like it. You know, mm-hmm. me me not having having it for a little while was not a problem because it's not something that I have all the time. And what was most fascinating with having the glucose monitor on my arm, when I really focused on keeping myself stable throughout the morning, when it hit, when it got to the afternoon, I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't need it. I don't feel like it. It would be nice, but do I actually need it? No, I really don't. So I'll just have my plain cup of tea instead of cup of tea and shortbread. Well, caffeine can spike sugar too. Because caffeine turns on metabolic aspects that involve fatty acid utilization. Mm -hmm. So when people say are fasting and they have caffeine, it actually pulls fat out of the bloodstream and you can metabolize triglycerides and things like that. But uh, I think that's why butter tart goes so well with a cup of coffee because it balances things out. Whereas if you had a a Coke and a butter tart, you'd be a train wreck. Right. Right. Um, And the the feeling that people get, because I did speak to someone lately and she said, I have hypoglycemia and I didn't get to ask her, you know, how do you feel when you, uh, when you hit a low? And I say that because I see literally on my screen that when I hit a low, whether it's in the middle of the night or maybe first thing, I don't know if it was ever first thing in the morning, but whenever I hit a low, I don't know that I felt really any different. Oh, wow. Well, anybody that's had hypoglycemia knows what it feels like and it's horrible and it uh, hypoglycemia since we're on this topic it's different for everyone so if you know your numbers what might make me go hypoglycemic is a lot different than what somebody else might feel right so if you have type 2 diabetes your low number might be my high number right and vice versa and uh, medicine doesn't take into account that individuality with people But uh, I, I was working with a service dog in San Francisco last Saturday, and this dog, eight years of doing a service dog, she's, you know, Sophia, beautiful little Bernadoodle, but she's trained to detect hypoglycemia. So I did an experiment, and I took uh, four concentrated capsules of a mushroom called Tremella, mm-hmm. which in high doses will lower blood sugar. Wow. Just as an experiment, because why not? Yeah. And uh, in about 10 minutes, she came over to me and sat and just looked at me like, bro, you're not okay. Oh, and I'm like, I feel really, no, I don't feel really good. Oh, whoa. And I could just feel the blood sugar crashing. And in that moment, you only have a few minutes to respond. But what I had in my uh, carry-on bag were some chocolate-covered almonds. Right. And In my experience, protein and fat are what will pull you up quicker than pure sugar. Because pure really? sugar will spike you and drop you. Right. And I've learned this from a lot of uh, lifetime type 1 diabetics is do not give them straight orange juice. They'll throw up. Try to okay. give them more of a balanced response. Um, but anyways, yeah, some chocolate-covered almonds. And I snapped out of it, and she wagged her tail and went away. 
Unbelievable. She's my glucose monitor, right? (laughs) Shout out to Sophia. That would Um, be amazing. Yeah. But, you know, animals know, and I think we, we also know ourselves. And when you get in tune with your metabolism, um, a lot of the pro cyclists in the Tour de France this upcoming year are training with glucose monitors. So the coaches will know when their sugar is dropping and when they need to feed and what they need to feed. Uh, you don't have to be a pro athlete to know that. If you're you know, working a 12, 15-hour day, just make sure you're snacking, keeping your body balanced. Do not start your day with frosted mini weeds. What's your Maybe. cereal of choice, Chris? Uh, it goes between multigrain Cheerios or Raisin Bran. What was the impact on your blood glucose because you've worn a monitor for a few weeks now? Very little. I didn't find a, a, dif- a difference between the two. Um, not much of one anyway. A little more with the Raisin Bran, a little more of a spike with the Raisin Bran, but at least outside of whatever the parameters are set on the uh, flash monitor. Okay. Um, on the, re- the on the readings that right. you're getting? Still within the green, if you want to call it that. What are you putting in your cereal? I usually have a rice milk, um, and then I will add a fruit. So it'll either be a banana or strawberries or raspberries. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of carbohydrate all at once. Yeah. But it makes me happy. <laughs> there you go. That's the difference. Um, a nice little cereal hack is if you just love cereal in the morning or yeah. in the evening, whenever, use a full fat milk. If I have a 1%, it's lactose free in this mm-hmm. household. I don't drink it, but that's something that my my kids and my wife enjoy. Um, we've basically been on a rice almond k- kind of milk kick now for years. Unsweetened almond will yeah. give you the nice ratio. Okay. And what about coconut, Davis? Yeah, as long as it's unsweetened and there's no gums like carrageenan or guar. If the ingredients sound like a heavy metal playlist, just <laughs> skip it. <laughs> and what 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 about the gums? So the gums like carrageenan, guar, and xanthan gum. Mm. They alter your microbiome and they feed the bacteria down there that really loves to make you gain weight. So what we call the obesogens, the bugs that basically cause obesity, mm-hmm. they're fed by the gums. Recently, I actually changed to sheep's milk. Uh, camel milk is available. Where do you find camel's milk? A lot of the health food stores here in the Detroit area. We have a town called Dearborn. Yeah. Um, and they refer to, it's the largest concentration of Middle Eastern people in North America. And who is so, milking yeah. camels these days? Is that a is yeah. that a yeah? Right. Is that a big job? <laughs> it's next to the zoo. <laughs> it's really delicious. Um, it's so important. So what about buffalo milk? Yeah, if you can find it. Well, the point being, you know, if you're going to have a sugar spike in the morning, yeah. you can settle that spike down a bit by using by mixing fat in with the carbs. Now, okay, we can control the sugar, and that's great. But when you mix really sugary foods with fat, that's going to raise your triglycerides and raise your cholesterol. It's not really the fat that's raising the cholesterol. It's the combination of sugar with fat that makes your liver freak out. And then the liver has to manufacture cholesterol to repair the damage you just did by eating that much sugar. And I think most people forget that the physiology of digestion is quite complicated. So when you, let's say you're going to drink some apple juice, Mm -hmm. the sugar just doesn't, you know, absorb through your throat or your stomach. It doesn't just end up in the bloodstream. It's not how it works. Your pancreas has to make insulin. And that chemical, that hormone insulin, requires large amounts of zinc. So if you're zinc deficient because you don't eat right, you don't make very good insulin. You also don't make very good testosterone. So then you start craving sugar because you're craving zinc, which is in a lot of foods that are high in glucose, like fruits and vegetables. And here's, or yeah, well, that's a different story. (laughs) Um, But here you are, you you know you shouldn't eat it, but you feel like you have to. And that's a, a zinc deficiency often causes those cravings. But as that insulin secreted, it then has to take the glucose molecule and put it into the bloodstream. And that complicated, you know, response requires a lot of energy. So the more fatigued you are, the less likely you're you're going to make wise choices about food. 
So don't eat late at night because you're already tired. That's an interesting one. I did see a comment from someone on social media that their blood sugar really spiked when eating um, late at night. Um, And I think the interesting thing about being able to monitor my own blood sugar was to see the types of foods that really spiked it. And Mm -hmm. I remember texting you once saying, what? I just had some wasabi peas Mm -hmm. thinking, all right, these peas, this is great. This is like my little snack in the glove box of my car. And I had the wasabi peas and my blood sugar went up to 11. Now for anyone who's listening, maybe in the U.S., your numbers are different to in Canada. The readings are different. And then that skews, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff, depending on what you're reading. So I think mine went up, maybe it was nine. It wasn't, wasn't super crazy. And then I texted you and you said, was there MSG? Mm-hmm. As well as shortbread being a semi-vice, chips, crisps mm-hmm. from my British side are definitely a vice. I'm definitely more salty, crispy, crunchy. That's, you know, that's my go-to. How many crisps or chips have MSG in them? Lots, because I've checked yeah. my blood sugar. If they have flavor, time, so. they have MSG. And recently I had chips and just you know, a a sort of after dinner snack or something like that. And then I went to the sauna and my blood sugar went up to 11. And I'm doing this as an experiment. I'm just doing to see what my body's response is. And I thought, I'm pretty sure that those chips did not have MSG because I've really been reading the labels even more carefully. So could a sauna spike it? So things that will raise your blood sugar. Yeah. That nobody thinks about. Yes. Stress being the easiest one. Mm -hmm. So we respond to stress by raising sugar. That's a sympathetic stress response. Call it fight or flight. The biggest stressors for that are temperature changes. So extreme heat or extreme cold will cause a a flood in blood sugar. Mm -hmm. Um, A significant threat to your life, you know, like a near miss on the 407. Okay. Getting your bill from the 407. Um, You know, that's kind of stressful. Lack of sleep. Yes. Then raise your blood sugar. Um, But the biggest one that I find that even the medical community doesn't pay attention to is pain. Mm. So if you're in chronic pain, your blood sugar is going to be high. Even self-induced pain, Dr. B? Like working out and that kind of thing, putting stress on your muscles? If you're in pain... If you're thinking, man, I wish this would stop. I can't. I can't think about anything because the pain is too much. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, people that will go on a steroid for pain, whether they blew their back out or mm. whatever, poison ivy, that will spike their sugar. Unfortunately, in the hospital systems, they don't pay attention to that because, let's say, you know, maybe you're on the bubble for being a diabetic, and you go in and your sugar's a little high. But they do surgery on you. Well, you're in a lot of pain. Well, your sugar's going to go up. Mm-hmm. Well, then they give you insulin because that's protocol. And now you've crashed. So avoid the hospital. Is it a regular thing to check sugars in the hospital when you go in? Is that a normal yeah, particularly, test? Yeah, particularly if you have a history of high blood sugar. Okay. Yeah, Chris, uh, like a, with an A1C over six, mm. you'd be considered on the bubble for type 2 diabetes. So A1C is what? It's a 90-day average of your of your glucose on the red blood cell. So it's a better measurement of overall how your body's managing glucose 24-7. That's, uh, for example, you go in for a physical, they check your blood sugar, and it's really high on fasting. And Well, they can't say you're diabetic. They need to do an average. Mm. Okay. So then you clean up your act, you get rid of the beer and pizza, you start working out, and uh, you can get your fasting sugar down very quickly. But the 90-day, the A1C, doesn't come down that fast. So that's why it's usually a three-month follow-up. Got it. And from a control point of view, today we have monitors. So that's better data. Mm-hmm. But the A1C, at this point, there's an argument that anything over 5.8 will be leading to glucose-related disease processes. Uh, like inflammatory heart disease, inflammatory brain disease, so on and so forth. So at that point, the question is, well, when? 
Uh, and so for every every tenth of a point over 5.8, you're increasing the rate of what we call glycation, where you're turning your cells into glucose. I think a rock candy, you know, you're you're slowly accumulating these crystals in your cells. So it makes you stiffer over time. Your joints get stiff. You're, you're making dad noises when you get out of your rocking chair. Uh, you can't bend over and put your skates on without help, all these things. Uh, so that's why it's important to look at that number. I'm not a big fan of looking at just a straight fasting number because it can be something different for everyone. In, in my experience, people that have a high glucose in the morning yep. typically, typically are dealing with an awful lot of stress. Mine goes up and depending on the day, um, there was one day when it went up to seven and I hadn't had anything but water. Mm-hmm. And it and it was over it was over seven and it was probably after a lot of stress. And that's why exercise is so good because the body brings it down doesn't need insulin to utilize glucose if you're moving. So muscles that are in motion can use use glucose. Your brain can also use glucose quickly. Up to forty percent of your carbohydrates can be used by your brain. So that's why if if you have a very mentally taxing day, you might be craving sugar. If you went out for a walk, that would be a better solution. Correct. And that's why it's important if you do have a high glucose meal, um, because sometimes it's just nice to have a big pile of spaghetti. Go for a walk after. Right. Or dance. Put on some music and dance. Yeah. Yeah. You don't even have to go outside if it's like snowstorm crazy outside. Right. With this, with the A1C, and we've talked a lot before about insulin resistance, Mm -hmm. can a glucose monitor share more insight into insulin resistance or is that a different type of test the glucose monitor is basically just telling you your glucose in that moment insulin resistance only happens when you have had too much glucose for too long of a period and your body just can't keep up anymore and so the insulin has a difficult time docking with the receptor sites because of the inflammation Mm-hmm. And get rid of the inflammation, everything settles down. It's totally reversible. And just tell everyone what that test is again that they have to ask. Oh, you if you're if you're concerned test. about insulin resistance, you should be also measuring your fasting insulin because if that's elevated, even if your sugar is so-called normal, if your insulin is high, then you're going down the road of metabolic syndrome, right? Just type two by diabetes. So with my A1C, which is five point two, five point three then if I have my insulin checked, then that would give me the full picture. Correct. Another ratio I love to look at is you measure your triglycerides, which are the, it's a percentage of fat floating through your blood at any given time. It's kind of like a easy access energy for your body. And then you'd look at your good cholesterol, so-called good cholesterol, the HDL. If your triglycerides are more than four times the amount of your good cholesterol, then you have metabolic syndrome. Right. So it's a four to one gig. You want to see in a perfect world, you'd like to see your good cholesterol and your triglycerides about the same number. And this goes back to our last conversation on metabolic flexibility. Okay. So I don't want to gloss over the fact that Chris, your A1C was six point what? 6.1. 6.1. And Davis has just mentioned that that's your on You're the bubble. On, on the yep. bubble. Bubble boy. Yep, that's me. Yep. Yeah. So what do you think about that? Well, the interesting thing about Chris is his numbers are flat. You didn't have a lot of spikes, right? No, no. The only time I sp- it ever uh, I ever had a spike was when I was working out, so putting my body under a certain mm. amount of stress, Yeah. I suppose. Um, I didn't check it after the hot tub. That's the one thing I didn't do. I should have. Uh, but it would make sense that it would have been spiked then. But even with my... I want to, let's call it a horrible, compared to you two, it's a horrible diet that I have. Um, I'm surprised I wasn't more of a roller coaster when it comes to my glucose levels. You're a pretty even keeled dude. Does mindset play a factor here? As you say, yeah. So when you're talking stress, if you're a stressful person, full of anxiety, Mm -hmm. that will affect on a physical level as well. That's exactly it. Your sympathetic stress levels will drive your blood sugar. My my suggestion, Chris, would be to look at your first morning feeding, mm. whatever that is, and make sure you're getting at least 20 grams of protein from some source. Okay. 
that'll set up the day to be um, less intense on carbohydrate. What would a 20 grams of protein look like in the morning? Give me just a couple of quick examples. Three egg whites. Okay. You know, multi-grain toast with a couple of tablespoons of peanut butter. Chris is allergic. Yeah, to peanut uh, butter. Yeah, we butter. have no nuts. We have wow butter in the. I don't know if that's a, All right. if that's a. Well, then yeah, let's not works. do that. No. Um, <laughs> you want than potentially pre-diabetic, pre-diabetes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a big fan of meat in the morning. So if you want to, mm. you know, I, I'm weird. I learned this in South Africa. They do a lot of fish in the morning. So if we have some leftover fish, I'll just grill that up and a little bit of pork lard. So eggs in the morning. So three egg whites, no yolk. Yeah, that'll be about 21 grams of protein. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan of yolks. Throw them in there. But if you're just looking to count, you know, uh, you never do just egg whites, as you know. You got to have at least one yolk for every three whites or you're going to end up with deficiencies. So don't do that. I'm a full yolk guy. Always put in the yolk. I don't think I've ever. I don't think I've ever had. An egg white omelet or don't uh, never. No, it's, it's just it's tasteless. You can also do quiche if you want to make some crustless, oh. crustless quiches. Yeah. Um, and you can make Frittata them in advance and freeze them. Uh, yep. Frittatas are amazing. I do that in a um, in my book, Sprout Right Family Food. I do that in uh, muffin tins. So good. So, so Chris, just take that leftover, whatever mm-hmm. it could be, or, or if you don't have any leftovers, it could just be a tin of salmon or, mm-hmm. you know, a tin of fish, take it and just spread it over all the diff- all the 12, um, uh, muffin slots, and then mix some cream. If you want to some coconut milk from a can, as well as the eggs, put in some greens, maybe a bit of rip up some spinach, some, uh, red peppers and just put it all into the muffin tins with nothing in it. Maybe oil it a little bit first, throw it in the oven. Hey, presto, you've got a week's worth of, um, or like five days worth of breakfast where you just eat the, eat one little muffin dude and you're good to go. Yeah. But I fall into the category of you can't eat just one. Uh, I'll end up having five or six at a sitting. Is that a bad thing? (laughs) (laughs) No. Okay. It's better than your. It's better than your. Uh, than my brand. cereal, yeah. Okay. So today on Eat This with Leanne, we've brought back Dr. Davis Brockenshire to talk about the how and the why to avoid the sugars and the processed foods and go deeper than we have visited in the past. The liquid calories, and I know that you just talked about pop, but. Recently, I've been talking about the amount of sugar in a, you know, even in tea or a creme brulee coffee that you've ordered or off the top, I talked about, you know, the third of a cup of sugar that's in your triple triple as you hit the drive through and that's how you start your day. The liquid calories that are going in to us is, I think, something that is outside of most people's thinking. You know, if you're looking at what's on your plate, which is really good, it's a great place to start. But lately, I've been trying to encourage people to what's in your cup, like what's in your what are you drinking that's adding in and potentially spiking your blood sugar um, as well. And if you are having something like that, along with the muffin, notice how you feel afterwards. And just for anybody that maybe doesn't understand what low blood sugar feels like, Davis, can you share that lovely list of how you're going to feel? All right. Hypoglycemia starts with kind of a really feeling of serenity like wow everything is really okay like you might be a little high and then your breathing changes your heart rate will go up your pupils will dilate you'll get a little sleepy then you get dizzy Mm -hmm. then you start to break out in a sweat and you'll get usually tremors and if you get lightheaded enough that you have to sit or lay down that means your blood sugar is going critical If it goes beyond that, you run the risk of passing out and having a seizure. Anybody that's participated in endurance sports has had what we call the bonk, where your blood sugar just crashes. And no matter how hard you want to keep going, you can't. You'll see that with marathon runners. They only have a mile to go. They're in the lead. And all of a sudden, their legs get wobbly and they just collapse. Right. They ran out of sugar. But people feel that way during the day, too. You know, you get that. After a lunch kind of crash, you're thinking, oh, man, I'm never going to get through this meeting. Yeah. Oh, I got to have some sugar. Or coffee. 
Yeah. I mean, black coffee can balance things out because it'll burn fat, but usually you'll see pastries around the coffee table at a, uh, a fine hotel for tea time that time of day. And you're looking for the, the petit fours and the chocolat and all that stuff. My suggestion is just grab a scone because right. it's got butter. Yeah, go for the fat or add more fat to it. So the toast and butter yeah, or the scone with butter or clotted cream if it's an Australian tea. Cream, That's great. That's absolutely. That's a great one to really, you know, kind of balance that out. So what, is, what should... If let's say somebody is going is thinking of dabbling with a glucose monitor, what should or what does a good balanced day look like? You wake up in the morning and does your blood sugar rise as it's supposed to? Mine does. Yeah, your your sugar has to start rising about 4 a.m. because the body is preparing for another day. Okay. So in a perfect world, between four and five, Tuatari says, All right, pancreas. Wake some guys up. We need some fuel. Sugar starts to rise, which allows the adrenal glands to kind of settle in, get some hormonal projects going. Sugar is up because cortisol is up from the adrenal glands, and you're up. Right. Now, if you have a high sugar breakfast, it's going to crash about noon, okay. but your cortisol will stay up, which is a stress hormone. And then through the day, you're constantly trying to balance the use of, of carbohydrate for this argument. Right. But in a perfect world, you want your glucose chart to look more like a tidal chart rather than a roller coaster. So you don't want big sudden spikes and drops. You want to see the, a smooth rolling sine wave of glucose. Okay. And it's normal for it to go up and down throughout the day. That's what sugar does that's why we need to eat roughly we have about 90 to 100 minutes of stored available glucose in the body mm -hmm. so if you're you know running as hard as you can after about 90 minutes there's nothing left right. you have to slow down and burn fat if people aren't doing that with exercise they may be doing that mentally mm -hmm. so stress can burn that up quickly if you look at hospital workers ICU workers, you know, their shifts are all over the place. So it's important for them to get feeding breaks, you know, to maintain that concentration. You don't want uh, their mental acuity to suffer. Mm -hmm. uh, when you look at the NHL, you know, they're eating between periods. They, they've got snacks and stuff everywhere. No, not orange juice. Right. They have other things. Gatorade. Gatorade's on their on their label of whatever it is. Yeah, Gatorade and Powerade, but that's not really what they're drinking. No. It's normal to be like that. What's not normal is to go to bed with your sugar high. Okay. If you do that, you're going to wake up somewhere between one and three in the morning and you're going to be wide awake. Mm -hmm. And that's because your sugar dropped. Right too low and it woke you up said bro you need to feed now you don't have to get out of bed just lay there breathe maybe have some water and your body will reset but that's a good example of probably too many carbohydrates late at night um, maybe you had an extra glass of wine before bed and that could have done it i bet there are so many people out there who do wake up regularly who are who do not realize the implication of that midnight I say midnight snack but it's more I'm on the couch I've had a day I'm getting yep. my treats out I'm having the popcorn the, the the sweet popcorn or whatever it is or just you know ice cream that floats around my daughter does that at nighttime and now that you're saying about hypoglycemia the amount of times that I see her hand shake is scary and and the longer it goes the more damage it creates so it's it's good to take, I mean, we have Ramadan coming up in the uh, in Islam. Right. They will fast 40 days. You know, you can't eat, you can't do anything by mouth while the sun's up. I work on a lot of those people and it's amazing how much healthier they get because they're not, you know, driving their blood sugar all day. Now they're going to eat late at night. Yeah. Um, but it's still, it, it changes how their metabolism works. So it's not a bad idea to look at that time-restricted eating. I was just going to ask about that because typically, if I'm using myself again as the guinea pig, typically I'm not eating anything till about 11-ish, somewhere between 10 and 11. So um, I'm probably sticking to that eight hours. 
Mm-hmm. And then depending on what I have at that time, and I definitely know that um, if I just have black tea, doesn't really move anything for me. Um, if I have a herb tea, obviously it's just acting as water. I've dabbled with coffee and uh, just coconut cream. That has not moved the needle. Um, and what else have I tried? Uh, typically in the morning here, we can get a, um, it's like an, it's called an almond dream bite from uh, live. Uh, it's a, a restaurant that used to be, but now you can get this food and it's almond butter, coconut oil. Um, it's a really tasty little, little number, just like a little bite of a whole bunch of higher fat foods doesn't even budge my, my blood sugar, but a power ball that has more, um, I'm not even sure that will raise my blood that, that will make it go up. Not so much of, of a spike, um, but bread, anything like that, I will shoot straight up as if it was a rocket. Right. Then the crash. Yeah. Then the hangry. Yeah. There's an evolutionary thought in science right now. First of all, as humans, we've never had to deal with stress like today mm-hmm. where we don't get a break. Right. We're constantly stimulating our stress management systems almost 24-7. And right. when we look at that throughout history, if you look at people that were exposed to that type of stress and what they ate, it was usually a high-fat diet hmm. rich in phytonutrients. Uh, and it was because that's what was available. They needed the energy. And uh, if you think in terms of like soldiers in the trenches or soldiers on horseback, they ate what they had. They didn't have a Snickers. You right. know? They were eating dried fruit, dried meat, and fat all mashed together. And they had plenty of energy. They were fit, low inflammation. Uh, and then somebody will say, yeah, but they only lived to C-30. Well, that's because they died of dysentery or tuberculosis. It wasn't their diet that killed them. Right. And right now in North America, number one cause of death, we'll say is diet related. Heart disease, cancer. Yeah, mm-hmm. cancer is diet related. I mean, it's, it sets the stage, right? If you think about it, everything is inflammatory driven. So if you spend your entire day consuming inflammatory driven foods, that's you're telling your body, hey, let's do this. Right. I do not agree with the Canadian researchers on alcohol saying that we should only have two servings a week because it's going to cause cancer. Bum study, start over. Come up, do better research because that's not the case. We get more alcohol a week from fruit. So what should that study have said? Yeah, the weird thing about that study is that they went from one extreme to the other. So that's the weird part. Where did the politics come in between you know, 14 a week and now two a week. Right. Same thing with coffee. Okay. They did the same thing with coffee. So regardless, science doesn't know the answers. And and the beautiful thing about science is it's designed to be questioned. Mm. You know, the art of science is to question it. And that's how we do science. And if you can't question science, then it's just propaganda. Well, who's paying for the science? Got it. You know, if, yeah. if the twinning the company... Factor. Yeah. is paying for the coffee research, then I'm thinking, well, you got a hand in this. Mm-hmm. You want coffee to look bad. And then they say, well, coffee's bad for the planet because of climate change. Well, it, being human is bad for the planet. Let's yeah. just don't heat your pool when it's 50 degrees out type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, keep an open mind when you're looking at dietary research, because as you know, Leanne, it changes week to week. It does, and it makes uh, your head spin. But what you have brought up is about alcohol. Yeah. And in my experience, not that I drink much at all, and Chris, you can speak more to this than I can. I know that is the impact on blood sugar. And you did a really great test on yourself, didn't you, Chris? Well, it was at your suggestion. I I tried straight whiskey and then I tried obviously my favorite, which is whiskey and and ginger. Yeah. Um to see how my body would would be affected either way with just the straight alcohol and then with um, the introduction of ginger ale in there as well. And I, my body, there was more in, of, an, of a spike, if you want to call it that, um, with yeah. the ginger ale than with the straight alcohol. Oh, yeah. You can't put pop with your grain alcohol. That's just rocket fuel for your pancreas. Okay. <laughs> okay. Do not do that. <laughs> well, let's use grain alcohol. All okay. right. So something that what? was fermented from grain. Right. Whiskey. 
let's say Crown Royal. So you, you, let's say you pour two ounces of Crown Royal over some ice. You're sipping on it. Your body doesn't turn that into glucose. Okay, It has to go through processes in the liver that produce something called acetaldehyde, mm-hmm. which is a lot like uh, what molds produce. So we can convert it into energy, but it's extremely expensive. What it does is it tricks your brain into thinking it has sugar. So it causes a little inflammation in the brain, so you just don't care about it anymore. Um, <laughs> and it also gets things going in the liver. There's a lot of circulation happening in the liver, which then moves triglycerides, and you can get a feeling of being a little full. But if you've ever drank too much before eating, you'll notice you lose your appetite. Right. Uh, so the funny thing, when you said ginger, I got excited because I thought you actually put a little bit of ginger root in it. <laughs> no. If you did, that would lower your sugar because ginger is very bitter. So any compound that's very bitter helps promote the metabolism of glucose. So what I would like to see is you and I sit down and come up with a recipe for a real old fashioned with a little tangerine peel, maybe a little spice, you know, Mm. and then you can balance it out because, you know, the old fashioned has a little bit of sugar syrup in it. Um, But if we balance it with the the bitters, you can create a bit of a healthy blood sugar drink. A, A good bartender will do just a sliver of like tangerine peel which will also unlock more of the chemistry. Hmm. Now, if you love your white wine, if you're yeah. a, a Pinot Grigio or a Sauvignon Blanc person, you're probably drinking the whole bottle, and that's just mainlining sugar. <laughs> okay. okay? So Red would wine. You see, would you see that in a, a spike on yeah, your you'll glucose see, monitor? You'll see a spike. It's grape juice. Right. Okay. Uh, and it's crystalline grape juice. That's why when you're doing a wine tasting, you're going to see fattier foods like cheese and nuts and meats to balance that out because if you don't you're going to get really buzzed quick right champagne and orange juice good example you know you and i have a friend that loves to order a mimosa hold the orange juice yeah um (laughs) and that's you know that's better for the blood sugar in reality than having the mimosa yeah but we also have friends that like to order two gallon bloody marys with half of a pig in it too so it just depends on where your metabolism is. Um, but it's interesting, through history, we've always consumed alcohol as part of our diet, whether it was, you know, mead, or when you look at things like grappa, but they were done at certain points of the meal. So in many cases, the highest level of alcohol was done as a dessert to kind of settle the system out. But for the average population... You know, you don't want to start with a light beer at the beginning and go with a hardcore beer like a Bordeaux at the end. Don't do that. You know, and what about just... red wine? That's your favorite. So depending on the red, right, it'll have different carbohydrate levels. Uh, typically, the lighter the red, the lower the alcohol. Mm-hmm. So like a Pinot is going to have lower levels of sugar and alcohol. Uh, but if you're getting a big bombastic uh, Australian Shiraz, that will, you know, if it tastes like syrup, it's syrup. It's It's sugary. Okay. Um, but the older the wine, right, the the less of an impact it'll have on your blood sugar. But then again, we have to let things sit long enough to do that. Well, thank you. We could keep talking for hours because I already have like 10 more questions for you. But <laughs> I think we'll leave it there for now for sharing your wisdom, for sharing all of these pearls with us, because I know that you see this a lot in your clinic every day. I'll put uh, Dr. Brockenshire's information. You can reach out to him. I know that you do a lot of virtual sessions for anyone who's listening around the world. So you can have access also to Dr. B. So thank you as always. I'm glad you had me on. Thanks, Liam. All right, Chris, that was interesting. I had to pause when I heard Dr. B talk about your A1C level, and that made me a bit bit worried for you. Really? Say. Yeah, that's it. I wonder what my A1C would be if I wasn't such an even keel dude. You know, like if I was one of those folks that ate the way I do. Yes. And still had an outlook on life that was very anxiety-filled and stressful. That would be interesting. I'd probably have an A1C much, much higher. Yeah. And right. I think you might might be in that diabetic diagnosis arena. 
And I find that absolutely fascinating how much our mind plays into the physical side of things. Oh, I think it's really cool. Um, I, I do too. It's nice to know that we have the weapons available within ourselves to fight yeah. off some of these beasts, right? Just said things like cancer and which, you know, everyone fears, but it is diet based. It is both, uh, physiological and psychological. And that, that to me, uh, make, gives me hope. You know, everyone kind of sits there. Oh, well, one and one and, you know, take a look around you to the guy to the left and the guy to the right. And one of you is going to have cancer one of these days. That's a dire way of looking at things. I'd much rather think of it as, you know what? I don't care about the guy to the left or the right. I know I can control it. So I will. Mm. I won't be that guy, right? That to me is is a much better way of looking at life. I absolutely agree. And shifting into that mental state, into that mindset is as important as what you're putting on your fork, on your plate, in your bowl <laughs> or whatever it happens to be. And, you know, and even with you know, your stats and what Dr. Bakenshire was talking about, you having the cereal in the morning, mm -hmm. me having eggs and all the fats and all of those kind of things, it does impact your levels. But how incredibly powerful is it that your mindset versus my stressed mindset, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, you could look at what's on your plate and analyze what's going on for you. But what people don't necessarily see or understand is my mindset. And all the stress and everything that I put myself through, it's all self-inflicted. I totally understand that. But how that could be affecting me in different ways. Because when you look at my spikes going up and down and up and down and up and down, <laughs> it's like, hang on a minute, I just thought I ate really well. <laughs> but I don't think about what's going on between my ears. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. What I'm taking away from this episode is, yes, what is going in your shopping cart, what's going in your bag, what's coming home is important. It is one aspect of things. And yes, taking, you know, B complex, I, I, that's huge. Um, having more vitamin C for your cells, huge anti-inflammatory uh, from the kid boost, skin boost, what I do every day, like all of those things are all amazing. And the mindset piece. So our lovely loyal listeners, this is an opportunity for you to listen to this episode again, because everybody says we've got to listen to Dr. B more than once and see what is it. Sure, put the glucose monitor in your arm but and look at the foods on your plate, but also what was going on for you in those moments. But a really, really interesting experiment to do for ourselves. And thank you, Chris, for coming on that journey um, with me and being open to doing that. Because I do think that some of the tech that's out there and some of the ways to monitor things give us um, such insight that takes things to another level rather than just thinking that you're doing a really great job. Mm. It certainly certainly has been for me. For some, while I really focus on the food, mm -hmm. there's more to be done. For some folks, though, too much information uh, can be a burden. Yes. It's kind of like if, if you're the type of person who likes to sort of spend their time on WebMD and come up with diagnosis for yourself, you mm -hmm. may not be the one to do this experiment um, just, right. just because it can add to the, the mental side of it, the stress side of it. So just try not to take it too far. Yeah. Yep. I agree. And when I asked my partner, Paul, about how, did, how has your experience been with the glucose monitor? Mm -hmm. His his overall take on it was that he found it almost like anxiety inducing. Yep. And we had a conversation about it because I found that fascinating. And I took it a few more steps to say that's interesting to hear because of the way that I it's it's working for me is it's keeping me accountable. Mm -hmm. And I think there are times when moving outside of our comfort zone of thinking we know what is working and then actually having the data in your hand does give you hopefully a more loving kick in the butt than the anxiety inducing kick in the butt. But maybe it's a, a slight flip on the script of, you, you know, this is just about you. This is about you and your life and your choices. And sometimes you have to be ready to face that. to be ready to do that. And if you're not quite there yet, then that's totally okay. 
these these monitors are not going to go anywhere. And there might be a moment where you think, hmm, I'm not quite ready, but I'm, I've got a peak of interest a little bit more. And then that might, then you can just be brave and, and take that step. But just know that all of these things are out there. Your wearables, your aura ring, your Apple watch, your, your whoop band, your all of these kind of things. And sometimes when people look at their sleep, you know, their sleep data, you're like, I'm more stressed than I'm not sleeping. Well, no, that's exactly what you're talking about, Chris, where it's where it's taking you too far. Let's not take this out of context. And maybe it is that you work with someone and you have them look at it so that they can guide you towards success rather than it being all on your shoulders. So with that said, please know that you can find out so much more information over on leannephillipson.com. Spartwright.com is where you'll find all of my Take This by Leanne supplements, which are super helpful for your immune system, for your mind, for your whole body, and a few of the ones that, that I mentioned today being uh, super appropriate for this particular topic. And I always love getting your messages and, um, and your feedback on everything that we talk about here. And I'll finish off today by, as always, saying, please remember to eat this one mouthful at a time.